0: It's Tracy and I am back again with super producer Alex for another episode of Truth, Lies and Cover-Ups. How are you, Alex?
1: Hey, Tracy. Thanks for having me. Doing great.
0: I'm always psyched when when we get to do these.
1: Well, that's because you need me in your life and your life would be empty without me.
0: You know what? That is 100% true. As irritating as you are, that is true.
1: (laughs) I am the light of your life and you know it.
0: You are. um, But you know who we're talking to today? Gary Edgington. Now, did you ever see the, the movie Beverly Hills Cop?
1: Of course I did. Like everybody, I memorized half the lines on it.
0: I know. What was your favorite scene?
1: <sighs> um, I like the restaurant scene where he pretends to be the you know the gay guy to get past the, um, the maitre d'. Uh, you know, yeah, please Ramon? tell Mr. Maitland that pots are going to stop falling off the man's body if he doesn't go get checked out sometime soon.
0: maybe you should tell
1: him that yourself
0: (laughs) my favorite scene is that combined with the scene right before it where he parks his piece of crap car at the at the valet Mm -hmm. and he goes watch out where you park it all this crap happened to it last time i parked here
1: (laughs) (laughs) i don't remember that but i do remember we're not going to fall for a banana in the tailpipe
0: Yep. <laughs> but anyway, okay, so today Gary Edgington, he is an actual, was an actual Beverly Hills cop.
1: And are they as polite as they are in the movie?
0: Well, he is actually super fun. And he's huh. so fun. He's so fun that uh, I had to interview him again. So we got two from Gary Edgington coming up, but this is just the first one.
1: Okay, so it's not two in one. You actually got to come back for installment number two. Yeah. Well, that sounds amazing. And yes. what is it like to search for a dead body?
0: That is that is what he's going to tell us. He's done dead body searches because he got involved in this Billionaire Boys Club uh, investigation and had to go search for some guys that they killed in the Hollywood Hills there. Okay, and
1: slow down. What is the Billionaire Boys Club investigation?
0: Well, it was a bunch of young, younger guys who were doing fraud schemes in L.A. Okay. Mm-hmm and they ended up killing some folks
1: oh really okay that's yeah. quite a fraud scheme
0: yeah well it ended in it started with money ends up with killing that's how good fraud schemes go you know oh, and of course. and he um so he was involved in these in these uh, searches for these bodies
1: so okay and these were bodies somewhere around beverly hills i assume
0: mm-hmm. yeah up in the, in the hills but yeah
1: probably not a whole lot of dead bodies laying around beverly hills i would think that would stand out
0: well i don't think they're like in town I think
1: they're (laughs) you know what i would do is i would just i'd go down to uh to to the local bus stop where there's a bench just put the body right there sit him up straight leave him alone
0: like weekend at bernie's yeah exactly yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) probably well anyway so um they weren't that smart to hide him in plain sight but um uh so gary he was also uh had he had some touches there with the oj simpson trial was going on while he was in town
1: Well, all that sounds wonderful, but it brings up a thought. Have you ever noticed that most of the dead bodies that are laying around town are discovered by joggers?
0: I have not noticed that.
1: Early in the morning, and and that'll show up in the paper, a jogger at, you know, early morning called 911 to report a dead body by the side of a creek.
2: So Those guys,
1: because they're always up early. They're always out running first thing in the morning. They're the first people out getting their act together. And, um, yeah, I'm a little jealous of that. And uh, so they're the ones, they get first dibs on dead bodies laying around.
0: Well. Why are you, are you rolling are you, your eyes at are you me saying, like that? I'm just trying to figure out if you're saying that joggers are responsible for for many, many deaths. Or... Well, I'm
1: starting, so what I'm pointing a finger at here is that it's a very interesting coincidence that all bodies are discovered by joggers. So I'm starting to wonder maybe the joggers are, are involved in this in some way. <laughs> Like there's a murder club. It's like, all right. So call up one of the call up one of the runners. Let's make sure he knows where to go tomorrow morning.
0: Call, call up the Kenyans so they can get away fast.
1: Exactly. They get <laughs> they get a little heads up on where to go. Oh
0: my goodness! You know, I think it's time that we talk to Gary. That sounds
1: good because otherwise, I'm going to start talking about the dead body searches that I've been privileged to be a part of, and Which we don't want to go into that. Zero. No, that's not true at all.
0: What? No, wait. Now we have to talk about it.
1: I <laughs> know we don't. <laughs> what? Did I ever tell you about the time that I tripped over one? No. Oh, absolutely. Tripped over a dead body in the snow.
0: Where were you?
1: Uh, I was up by the... Well, I don't know if I want to give an exact address, but I was up in the, uh, in the foothills here. It was around 10,000 feet. It was winter. Um, I was out there on a search and rescue mission, and it, we, we knew it was a body recovery. It was just a matter of finding what was... Uh, uh what was assumed to be a suicide and did turn out to be as much and uh so yeah there are 40 of us out there scouring the area for hours it was well after dark it was around midnight and uh and i was the one following footsteps uh and actually tripped over the poor guy laying in the trail on top of this hill uh but he was covered by about an inch of snow and completely camouflaged because everything was covered by you know a couple inches of snow and, you know, in that dead flat light in the middle of the night uh, with everything covered in snow, it, everything looks flat. So you trip on it and land on I
0: it. I had no, I I've had no idea <laughs> that
1: you've done a search and rescue. Well, I don't put the, oh, you didn't know I was on search and rescue? No. Yeah, I did that for about four or five years here.
0: I could see you doing it and being very good at it, but.
1: Yeah. Uh, um, it was it was interesting. I learned a whole lot from it and had some interesting experiences. That, you know, dead bodies are the dramatic thing, but it's really not a big deal. You know, people die all the time. So, um, yeah.
0: <laughs> we need to talk to Gary. I don't even know
1: who you <laughs> are anymore. I'm surprised you didn't know I did that.
0: No, never came. Yeah, I was wilderness
1: EMT, and um, that was I back. you an EMT. Yeah. Anyway, Mm -hmm. well, we can come back to that another time.
0: I think we're going to have to. It's going to be a whole session (laughs) where we'll just interview Alex. Um, (laughs) All right. Okay. We got to talk to Gary and get some other info on dead body surgery. Yeah,
1: surely he's going to be more interesting than my stories. Yeah, let's go hear what his stories are about.
0: All right. It's Tracy, and I am back again with what I know is going to be a fascinating interview here because – Uh, I have Gary Edgington with me and Gary has too many qualifications for me to even start to repeat, to give him justice. Um, and so, you know what, Gary, I'm going to let you do that yourself. So why don't you give us like the two second snippet on who you are and why you're here.
2: Two seconds. Oh my God.
0: (laughs) Okay. You're out of time.
2: Beat you to it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm from L.A. um, and um, I started my law enforcement journey in uh, the mid 70s as an explorer and a cadet. Then I became a police officer in uh, 1979. My dad was a a law enforcement officer. And while I was in the third week of the academy, my father was uh, stabbed to death by a crazy guy who had been released. Uh, after serving 18 months in custody for attempted murder of a police officer and another person
0: now wait so no another- wait okay hang on <laughs> okay was your dad a cop too or yes yes okay. he was because but- yes. oftentimes law enforcement kind of runs in families i mean right. you?
2: he was the only uh, he, well actually i have a cousin who just retired from the sheriff's department mm-hmm. uh, in orange county but not really a, a, a thread of law enforcement uh running through the fan actually no wait a minute now that i think about it i have a great great grandfather who was a sheriff in illinois in the 1840s or 1850s something like. oh man yeah yeah i have his commission actually up on my wall behind me here
0: Uh which one is that point to it
2: (laughs) oh it's it's actually uh
0: oh is it out of the camera
2: yeah it's out of the camera but it's signed by the governor of the state of illinois in like 1850 something
0: Wow. Yeah. That's super cool. Okay. So you have a little law enforcement history. So you're in, you're in the academy. All of a sudden your dad's gone. Like what, what does yeah. that do for you? Like inside you, what, because death changes people like what, right. what do you do?
2: Of course. Um, well, obviously it, it was, it, I, I guess I think first and foremost, it fell upon me to sort of f- take up the slack for my father. You know, they say, young men grow up when they lose their fathers. And I certainly did. I believe that's true. And, um, you know, I took about a week off from the Academy and came back and finished training with my class. And, um, I, I obviously that week was hellish. And I mean, to this day, obviously it, 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 uh, it, it bears some heavy scars. My book is actually, um, dedicated to my father.
0: in, in um, your book outside Mm -hmm. the wire yeah um we're gonna talk about that sure um, as as we go but um that's that's pretty cool that you dedicated it to him
2: yeah yeah i i mean he had a tremendous influence on my life and so many lessons that i learned as a as a you know knucklehead little boy i've carried through you know Mm -hmm. as an adult and now i'm passing it on to my grandson so you know um so basically um, I carried on, um, and, uh, continued, uh, that, uh, law enforcement, uh, with Manhattan beach, uh, and, uh, actually had a couple of crazy guys armed with knives. My father was attacked by a man armed with a knife
0: mm-hmm.
2: and he was able to get one shot into him, but unfortunately it wasn't enough. He hit the guy in the hip at about 10 to 15 feet. And the guy mm-hmm. continued his attack mm-hmm. and, um, and stabbed him. Uh, but. Um, the fact of the matter is, um, you know, I uh, once again, I like I said, I, I had several incidents that are very similar to what happened to my father. Fortunately, they both they both resolved themselves without violence. I went to Beverly Hills Police Department and was there for about six years and uh, served in patrol and detectives. And kind of, uh, that changed my career career trajectory because at that point in time, I realized that my real passion was for investigation. That's what I really love. And I've spent most of my career, probably, um, uh, 26 or 25 or 26 years of my 30 year career have been in investigative roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I went to the DA's office and continued that, that, uh, that uh, investigative uh, role worked on the, the um, uh, OJ case uh, assisted on the OJ case, actually at Beverly Hills, I assisted on the billionaire boys club case. Well,
0: we, the- we need to yeah. talk about Beverly Hills here a little bit. Um, sure, now, did, did you ever run into Axel Foley? Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't, but they did film <laughs> when I was working patrol, they did film one, uh, one portion of that um, uh, probably sort of a, Uh, exterior shot thing Mm -hmm. Uh, it was filmed at the police station there at the city hall which is where the police station was located but the police station as I always uh, caution people looked nothing like uh, was what was in the film the police station was built in the 1930s and it was that was very apparent because it was run down it was cramped and it was extremely archaic uh, full of character no question about it full of character but definitely and i actually ran into a a um uh an extra i didn't realize he was an extra i thought he was a new guy because he was all uniformed <laughs> out and with all the gear and everything and i thought i looked at the sergeant and i said who's the new guy mm-hmm. and he goes no that's a movie extra and he goes and i said my i was amazed at how close they had everything i mean everything was perfect you know somebody mm-hmm. really did their homework and um, and the only the only like I said, the only shot you see from from Beverly Hills was actually just uh, when he bails out of uh, jail there.
0: <laughs> OK, so let's let's talk about Beverly Hills, because really the only experience I have with the Beverly Hills police uh, force with, is watching Beverly Hills Cop. OK, so um, <laughs> but but I'm really curious because there is so much money in Beverly Hills. Right. And and really in in L.A. in, in general.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Are you dealing with a different level of like fraud or theft or then, then maybe you would in another de- department yes. somewhere. Like w- what's the reality there?
2: The reality is lots of zeros. Mm-hmm. Victims. Usually um, the victims are going to sustain significant losses mm-hmm. and frequently um, the, 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 Uh, fraud suspects are going to be fairly sophisticated. Um, And as you well know, um, we only catch the ones that are dumb or make a mistake.
0: Well, that's just the thing, right? So let's, I mean, we haven't even jumped into really your background fully yet, but let's, let's just, um, we'll get there.
2: (laughs) Okay. No problem. I'm having a great time. Let's talk. (laughs) Okay.
0: So what, what kind of, (laughs) Fraud? did you get involved in in Beverly Hills and to okay and then we're going to parlay that into what kind of fraud do you know was there but you didn't have I guess enough information to go after it like talk talk about that
2: oh boy there are so many cases I did not specifically work a fraud case I worked bunco forgery for a short period of time um mainly uh checks and things like that but there are so many types of fraud that takes place there uh i'm aware of of real estate fraud uh investment fraud um and um one of the investigations um that i that that actually touched the billionaire boys club case my victim uh, on that case was a gentleman by the name of oh my god now i've just had a brain fade here it'll come back to me okay but he's very famous he was one of the victims in the billionaire boys club case Mm -hmm. and um he was an extremely gregarious uh talkative guy and he would call me all the time because he was the victim on my case which was an auto burglary case Mm -hmm. but he was also collaterally that the suspect in a fraud case where he had defrauded a company that supplies movie equipment to production companies because he had this scam going, was called Network. Ron Levin was his name.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, God bless him. Ron had scammed this company out of thousands and thousands of dollars of equipment that you would use um, for you know um stringers you know for for news uh people that go out and and do news and the Mm -hmm. the show that he was supposedly producing or doing a documentary which was just all a a big scam was called i think network news or something like that Mm -hmm. and um but it was all a scam and this equipment was in the back of his car and it was stolen by another guy who is a Mm -hmm. famous from a very very famous acting family extremely famous acting family
0: can you say the name
2: Um, yeah, Barrymore.
0: Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. It was a
2: long, 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 long time ago, and it has nothing to do with Drew or any of that. Anybody would know. But, um, and, um, the... Uh, and so, anyway, all of a, all of a sudden, one day he stopped calling me. So we start, and he called me every single day and talked and talked and talked mm-hmm. and everything. He knew everybody, and if he didn't know everybody, made you think he knew everybody, which of course is also part of the whole scam, you know, thing. Uh, you know, as as you know, you deal with this kind of thing. Uh, it's all about um, how how effectively they can lower a person's um, shields. Mm-hmm. So that they can develop a, a, a trust level with them mm-hmm. and ultimately scam them. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately, and then one day he stopped calling and find out that he was killed. He was killed by these guys that he was scamming. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, it was pretty, I mean, it's, it all ran a big circle. It all ran a big circle. And these these young men were, um, had uh, come up with a an investment scheme uh, based on some crackpot uh, psychological thing that, uh, a theory of psychology and, mm-hmm. and chaos and all this other stuff. And, uh, he convinced them that he was investing money with them. And in actual fact, the account that he had the money drawn on had nothing in it. It was like a dollar, two dollars in it, mm-hmm. just enough to keep the account open. And so they got a little angry with him when that happened and, um, they killed him we never found the body we combed the mountains north of uh, of uh, los angeles county trying to find the the remains we never found them
0: wow so so then um let's talk about that so so whenever people don't find the remains what do you think goes on like do you think they're buried somewhere or put in some kind of barrel or like what what's your thought as a as an insider
2: well in this particular case i think mother nature did the work because mm-hmm. it's an extremely desolate part of of um the the mountains uh, north of los angeles mm-hmm. and uh i mean they they basically they shot him to pieces basically oh. and dumped the body off the road into the into the uh, brush and you know much like the foothills uh, where you live you know it's full of coyotes and yeah all sorts of critters and i think that's what happened and we just never we never found the remains
0: Uh-huh. wow okay so then tell, talk about the billionaire boys club like is this part of that or how did like because it yes. sounds like everything's like coming together
2: like yes well basically you know, he was one of their victims. There are several okay. victims, um, but he was one of them. And I was only involved. I was involved in that case on the periphery. I was not working homicide. I was working auto theft. And and of course, this is a major case like this. When something big happens, all hands on deck, uh, you know, are involved and, and participate in in uh, helping out on the investigation or, mm-hmm. or surveillance or whatever arrest. You know i was there for the arrest of, of some of the principals and stuff like that but um uh, so i would say and i would say that um basically what they did was when I mean, they realized that they were they their investment scheme wasn't going to work and they needed money because they mm-hmm. spent a lot of money on toys and stuff like that because mm-hmm. they were young upper middle class to upper class kids who kind of were pretty spoiled and, uh, entitled mm-hmm. and, um, very arrogant, very, very arrogant. Yeah. And, uh, they, um, they came up with other scams, um, to, uh, to add money to their war chest and continue their thing. And, and one of them was a kidnapping, uh, uh, of another individual, uh, and uh, they were going to force him to sign over his account, and they were going to torture him uh, to do that. But, um, but he passed away as they were traveling with him um, oh. from Northern California, to Southern California. Yeah, it, it's pretty awful, pretty awful. So, so, I mean, these people were completely without any remorse whatsoever. And arrogance like you cannot believe. I've arrested thousands, probably thousands of people in my life, or certainly encountered people in custody. Mm-hmm. And the, I will never forget the arrogance uh, and smirk on the lead ring, on the ringleader of this thing on the day he was arrested. It was, mm-hmm. it was just, he thought he was so much smarter than we were. It was like, we were just like, you know, little peons with the, uh, you know, single digit IQs, you know.
0: Wow. So then how, what, 20s or late, late teens, 20s? What What's?
2: I'm going to say mid-20s. Okay. Mid-20s, okay. yeah.
0: So, so they, okay. So what, what were their activities? If you can list off their activities besides killing people, like what were they, what was the basic premise of their whole thing?
2: Well, it was invested. It it was investment. They were, Mm -hmm. they were I don't, I'm not super familiar with all the little ins and outs of Mm -hmm. what they were doing in their investment scheme. I just know that it didn't work out and Mm -hmm. they, and their investment strategies were, were uh, not successful Mm -hmm. and which led them to try and find other sources of, of uh, revenue, which led them to these other horrible crimes that they committed.
0: Ah, okay. So then. A lot of times with with this kind of ring of fraud, like let's say you get one or two of them, the rest of them kind of keep going. Is that uh, what happened or did they just disband? Like, how did that work?
2: Well, because there were murders involved, it was different than than, uh, your typical fraud investigation. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think almost everybody um, that was involved in this case got rounded up for the most part. There may have been one or two outliers that didn't. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people, uh, some of them ended up uh, cooperating with the government mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. the case with, with uh, the district attorney's office on the case,
0: mm-hmm.
2: but uh, several people went to jail behind this case.
0: Wow. And what was your, so you were an investigator kind of on the fringes of the case or were you in the middle of it? Talk about that. Well,
2: I was a detective working auto theft okay. and, and, you know, it's a small police department with, I don't know, 120, 130 sworn in a detective bureau of. 10 or mm-hmm. so. So when you have an operation that's going to involve manpower, all the detectives are, are involved in that. And, uh, you know, we did the arrest. Uh, we searched in the mountains. And, uh, you know, uh, that's where a lot of my involvement was, aside from the fact that I was very, very familiar with Ron Levin and, mm-hmm. and dealt with him.
0: Now, let's talk about uh, because i've never had anyone on who's done a search at least that we've talked about who's done a mountain search for bodies or for evidence or anything like that like what's it really like like i mean are you out there in your hiking boots and uh, like is there a helicopter i mean what what really happens
2: well i think i think that um nowadays mm-hmm. uh the the technology uh you know with with forward-looking infrared and cadaver dogs and mm-hmm all kinds of other technology you know uh ground penetrating radar and and devices that are able to to identify disturbances in the ground and all kinds Mm -hmm. of things um like i think it's a different game now Mm -hmm. but back then it was climbing up and down the hillsides in the chaparral and brush and uh slipping and sliding on rocks and stuff because it Mm -hmm. was pretty steep area and just hoping against hope that we find a button or a piece of clothing or some shred that would indicate that uh, you know that a body was nearby, which unfortunately mm-hmm. we never did. Was,
0: so then, how long would a search like that go on? Like, I mean, are you out there days and days or what? several
2: times? It went on. I was there one at least one or two days,
0: uh-huh. um,
2: and I know they went back out. I remember hearing stories about them going back out after I left, detectives. Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously trying to find the body is a, is a crucial thing, you know, uh, for an investigation, you know, absolutely. Uh, you know, obviously establishes absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's is not a missing person. This is a, this is a homicide. And also of course the body will have evidence, hopefully right. depending yeah. on its state of uh, preservation, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the surrounding area will also have evidence.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So, billionaire boys club kind of wraps up you don't find a body but then you end up you kind of moved on didn't you or or was there tell me about that
2: well um i uh ended up um uh lateraling over to um the da's office Uh and um i spent about seven or eight years at the da's office And I worked um, initially, I worked trial support, which is basically supporting, uh, assisting deputy district attorneys with their prosecutions, with uh, developing evidence and, you know, uh, uh, interviewing witnesses Mm -hmm. and finding witnesses and locating new evidence and things like that, shoring up their cases. And then I, I did welfare fraud. Uh, for about a year and a half, two years, worked a big case, welfare fraud case that involved a a suspect that lived in um, North Las Vegas, Nevada, and was collecting welfare on like seven cases in LA County. So it was quite a, uh, quite a fraud. Well, Uh, let's,
0: let's talk about that. Let's dig into that. And I'm curious because I am actually going to speak at the I don't know if I told you this when we were talking, I'm going to speak at the California welfare fraud investigators association (laughs) in October. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be out in uh, Palm Springs. And so how do you like this case lands on your desk? Let's just say like, how do you, how, how did someone figure out that fraud was going on? Cause I mean, fraud is usually reported by a tip. Right. Uh, What talk about that?
2: What happened was, I think, if memory serves correctly, it was a, it was uh, a tip that came in of um, multiple cases at the same address, oh. i.e., multiple checks were coming to the same address uh-huh. under different names, mm-hmm. and that was. And so I went to the address in Burbank and uh, checked it out and determined yes, um, and and the person who was who was. Allegedly living there uh, was not living there mm-hmm. and was just coming by and collecting the mail. So then I went to the welfare office and talked to the caseworkers mm-hmm. and determined that this individual, you know, I, I identified her, had pictures of her, showed a photo lineup and said, Is this the person you're talking about? Blah, blah, blah. And yes, yes, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so then I started to identify other cases and I ended up, I think, with like seven or eight cases and I identified some of the places that that she went and the addresses that she, um, had, uh, used, uh, for these, these basically mail drops mm-hmm. and, and then ultimately, um, traveled to uh, North Las Vegas. And with the assistance of a detective from North Las Vegas PD, we, uh, served a search warrant on her and, uh, at her place. And, um, she had. A lot of kids.
0: I Mm -hmm. remember that
2: very clearly, and I think she was like 20 years old, and she had five, six kids, seven kids, Mm -hmm. something like that. It was insane living with her mother, Uh and um, um, she would fly in twice a month on Southwest from Vegas Uh to pick up the checks.
0: (laughs) So, so was she getting checks in Vegas too, and in LA, or probably, yeah.
2: I'm guessing probably and some, I'm sure she was, uh-huh. um, it, but maybe it was easier in L.A. than it is in Vegas. I don't mm-hmm. know. Uh, you know, obviously, crooks tend to, to target the easiest marks. Yeah. Uh, and the interesting thing about that case was I very clearly remember several conversations with caseworkers in L.A. Mm-hmm. telling me that their bosses had asked them to not be so forthcoming with me on my investigation. And people are always interested in why that would be. And yeah. I explained that the reason why is back then,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, the metric for um, pro- productivity was how much money, how many cases we have, how much money is going out the front door mm-hmm. in aid to people. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're uncovering all this fraud, obviously that, that casts a shadow upon the office and upon the office leadership. Mm-hmm. And the whole process now, under the Clinton administration, I believe welfare fraud did change to a degree, or welfare laws changed to mm-hmm. a degree, and eligibility changed to a degree. I don't know; it's I've it's been a long time since I wasn't involved in it, so I have no idea what the what the problems are that they deal with now. But I'm sure that many of the same problems are still back, are still there, mm-hmm. um, because these systems. They correct themselves for a while, then they then they ease back into the same old patterns. It's uh-huh. human, nature, as you well know, you mm-hmm. know. So yeah.
0: So then, yeah. when you're investigating that, like, what's your first thing? Like, like, you just stop by the house and see what's going on, and I mean, is it that yeah. easy to be like, oh yeah, this is fraud, or is it? Do you are you digging in deeper in certain ways? Like, talk talk about that.
2: Well, the first thing, the first thing you do is work up a a background package on. Who you believe the suspect is, mm-hmm. and, and get a photograph and all of that. Then you go out in the field. I mean, one of the things that you need to be able to do as a detective is go out in the field and talk to people and try mm-hmm. and get them to open up to you. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's what I did. And I pretty clearly um, could see what was going on within a few minutes of talking to a neighbor uh, when they said, "Oh yeah, um, I know who you're talking about, but she doesn't live here." And I was like, oh. "Okay, boom, we got it. We got, uh-huh. we got." we have at least one violation. Uh-huh. So now because she's, she's accepting uh, f- payments fraudulently under false pretense, you know, uh-huh. she's not, she does not reside there. Right. So now the, the next part of the equation is to figure out how many other cases she has open. And that required like work going to other places and talking to the, the um, wait case workers. And then um going to those, physically going to those locations to find out if she actually did reside there and determining that she didn't. And then from there, try to find out where she actually lives mm-hmm. and um, put together a case and put together a search warrant. Mm-hmm. We can go in and, you know, get the uh, the evidence that we need, you know, uh, documentation of false names, false identification, birth certificates, uh, canceled checks, paperwork. Mm-hmm copies of applications, signatures, all of those things are are valuable evidence in, in that kind of investigation.
0: So then did you, if if you're an investigator at that point with the DA's office, you probably didn't get out and do actual arresting in the case, did you? Or was that you?
2: Oh, no. Yeah, absolutely. We did. Uh, on that particular case, I did not take her into custody because I didn't have peace officer authority in Nevada, but they did.
0: Oh, got it. Um,
2: okay. But um, and then she was extradited back to Los Angeles to stand trial. She mm-hmm. pled out, which is what usually they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I was, yeah, I mean, I worked major narcotics after that. And I worked uh, major narcotics and intelligence after that. And I did <laughs> dozens and dozens of, of arrests on major narcotics cases.
0: Oh, okay. We're going to talk about some of those, but I want to circle back. Sure. To um, OJ Simpson. Yeah. Because we got to talk about that, right? Sure,
2: of course, <laughs> so yeah. Exactly. What, was,
0: what was your involvement in the case?
2: Well, um, my involvement um, sort of had two phases. It was an initial phase that uh-huh. was pre, pre-murders where um, we were following an individual on a narcotics case. I think mm-hmm. it was a cocaine case. And that individual was a, an associate of, of OJ. I don't remember his name. Um, but and, it, and the, the whispers were that, um, you know, there was there was a, a very, very, very close association. Oh, and then, of course, the murders occur. And uh, I'll never forget the day that the low speed chase occurred. I was at the D.A.'s office uh, on the 17th floor outside um, outside the D.A.'s, the actual district attorney's uh-huh. office, main uh-huh. office. And it was just a mob of newspaper people there and well, screaming, because yelling. That,
0: that low speed chase went on for a couple hours, didn't it?
2: Yes, it did. Yes, yeah. Because
0: I remember, I yeah. was was I in college or just out of college? I was bowling up at CU here. Uh, they have a bowling alley, and I I remember sitting there and watching it, going, "Oh my god, like what is going on?" So, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
0: Um, so so you have a, a couple two two hours, let's just say, for the media to show up on the lawn of the courthouse. Right,
2: right, right. right. So
0: then you got to have someone handling that. I mean, and you have all the officers out. uh, And then what were you thinking? Like, what what was going on for you?
2: Well, actually, I was kind of enjoying myself. It was actually pretty funny because (laughs) there was one really, really famous reporter Uh um, who went on to bigger and better things standing there at a at a uh, bank of phones screaming at his producer telling his producer using pretty basically sounding like my old man uh you know uh mm-hmm. a, a navy uh navy chief using all the best words he could think of to say to tell his producer that he needed to be in the middle of this case that he needed to be front and center on this and on this case and this is this is inside there was no like i mean there's no lawn <laughs> at the criminal courts building in downtown la there's no lawn in front of the courthouse <laughs> it's just okay. it's just pavement it's not like one of these beautiful picturesque county courthouses and you know in the rest of the country you know i know exactly what you're talking about but in downtown la uh the the only flora and fauna are uh, vagrants <laughs> oh
0: okay okay so who was can you say who there was as a reporter
2: I oh know. okay i actually right. know him i actually know him pretty well oh, do you? okay Later all right we'll, life, yeah
0: we'll keep it under wraps I'll let you <laughs> okay <Excuse> okay me. <laughs> so um so you're having a good time watching this whole thing right um just because you kind of know some stuff already right
2: yeah,
0: yeah so yeah. so then um what what happens next what do you do
2: well uh what happens next is obviously he's arraigned and then the the um the DAs are, are assigned to the case. And I actually um had worked when I was at a Beverly Hills uh detective, I would worked with Chris Darden, who was the co-prosecutor on the case. Mm-hmm. And I also knew Marsha Clark a little bit. Um I hadn't done any big cases with her or anything, but mm-hmm. I knew her you know, from working in the criminal courts building, I knew her. Mm-hmm. And um liked them both a lot. Uh, especially uh, I like I said, I have knew Chris Darden pretty well and I know what a great, great, great man he is. He's a mm-hmm. really good guy. And um, and so what happened was um our unit was involved in protecting um uh, the DAs, and I was involved in protecting uh Marsha's uh family uh oh, during wow. this during this uh the trial mm-hmm. uh, or during the lead up to the trial. Okay. And then um prior to they
0: have security at the house i imagine and or yes
2: yes that's what we did we had security at the house Mm -hmm. and um and uh got to know the kids uh -hmm. uh, a little bit and uh and marcia and um and then uh and she's really great lady really really nice nice lady great uh great uh person and um anyway so then uh we uh i ended up before um the things really got going on the case um, i ended up going to the the california department of justice uh, as a special agent and worked major narcotics mm-hmm. and so i was at the department of justice when the case uh finally uh went to verdict and went to mm-hmm. the jury got a verdict on it uh and um it was pretty shocking uh needless to say that verdict was was pretty bizarre
0: well, let's talk about that. Cause you're, you're a little bit on the inside and um, okay. So I, I have studied the transcripts. Sure. Um, I, and I've studied them in some of the FBI uh, law enforcement, like type trainings that I've mm-hmm. been in. And it's pretty clear. He's being deceptive. Like it's
2: mm-hmm.
0: like, it's super clear. And so what happened like, what happened here is is it is it a celebrity thing is yes. i mean
2: see all things being equal uh-huh. if there hadn't been if if say for instance i had done this right i would have been tried in the court that is closest to where the crime occurred the trial should have taken place in santa monica but oh the district attorney at the time met with the local leaders in in Los Angeles and assured them that he would get the, a, a fair trial and um and probably promised them i'm sure he did uh mm-hmm. that the trial would take place in downtown Los Angeles well downtown Los Angeles is a completely ju- different jury pool than uh Santa Monica completely mm-hmm. different yeah. and um i think that that i think that played a role in the outcome of the case um, obviously there were mistakes that were made uh, on the on the part of the prosecution and uh, people more learned than myself have said that the, the judge mm-hmm. um, who I knew uh, and thought was a really nice guy mm-hmm. um, had made too. I mean part of the problem is the cameras are very seductive uh when they're allowed in a courtroom mm-hmm. and people have a tendency to perform when the, when the when the red light is on people yeah. start, start to perform okay. and they kind of forget what the mission is and uh it's human nature it's not that surprising and that's why courthouses <laughs> frequently don't want to have cameras in there because of that whole specter
0: oh wow of okay. uh-huh.
2: and so i think that those factors uh uh, played heavily uh in what ultimately happened and that's just that's just me talking mm-hmm. you know i i was gone when all that happened i was a spectator for the most part but i have to say based on my intuition and experience and and I, what i know i believe that that had a big part of it i mean certainly a huge part of it
0: now what about um Johnny Cochran, right? Wasn't he O.J.'s lawyer? Is that his name? Yes. 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 Did you ever meet him? Did you ever meet that guy? Oh,
2: absolutely. All the time. I used to see him all the time in the mornings. Uh Uh, He's a very friendly guy. Very nice guy. Um, He was with the DA's office for a while. Uh um, And uh, very, very well-known guy. Uh And um, he's a good lawyer. Uh He did a good job. Clearly
0: he's a good lawyer. He got some stuff figured out
2: he got some stuff figured out he he saw where the weaknesses were or he he figured out a way to to create weaknesses that's probably a better choice of words to create witnesses or give the illusion that there are weaknesses mm-hmm. in the case the mm-hmm. you know you can't convict if that well everybody who knows anything about leather gloves knows that if you put a latex glove on a leather glove and it's tight and it's already been exposed to to moisture i.e blood Mm -hmm. it's going to be almost impossible to get that thing on Mm -hmm. because it's a skin tight glove he's got a latex glove on and he's you can't put anything over a latex glove yeah no it's not happening
0: Mm -hmm.
2: so that was destined to failure from straight away from the beginning Uh and you know there was evidence that i mean i'm not a prosecutor uh but it, it seemed like there was evidence that could have been presented that wasn't presented, i.e., his behavior,
0: uh-huh.
2: uh, his, you know, his his behavior during interviews, what he said during the interviews. Yeah, none of that stuff really came out. And uh, you know, certainly the low speed chase, the chase. You know, these are behaviors not not consistent with somebody who's innocent, who's only interested in in finding the 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 murderer of of his his ex wife. Uh-huh. These are consistent. These are behaviors that are consistent with somebody who's guilty.
0: Absolutely. You know, absolutely.
2: I understand he had a cut on his hand and uh-huh. all kinds of things. You know.
0: Mhm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So. Uh, yeah, those transcripts are pretty interesting. Um, sure. with how he's doing. Um, and some of my peers call it chaff and redirect, <laughs> with mm-hmm. just not answering questions. And right. so OJ's still out. He's he didn't he go to prison for something else? Like he or, robbery.
2: Yeah. And I think kidnap in, in Nevada. Mm-hmm. And I guess he's, I haven't checked in a while. Somebody told me the other day that they think he's out on parole or is off parole now uh-huh. and living in Florida or something like that. Uh, but certainly he messed with the wrong people when he went to Nevada to play his games. Mm-hmm. Uh, they yeah. They don't play there.
0: Oh no. So, yeah. What a fall from grace. That is just crazy. Yeah, um, it really
2: is. I mean, this is a guy who is absolutely revered by everybody. Uh-huh. And come to find out, he's just uh, a monster, you know.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. He just can't, can't doesn't couldn't get it together off the football field. Um, yeah. Wow. Okay. So okay, <clears throat> here's what we're gonna do because we have you have a lot more to say, and mm-hmm. what we want to do is um, talk about your book right now, okay, and then sure. and then what we're gonna do is we're gonna have a, an episode, uh, at least another episode with you here in the future at some okay. point. Right. Uh, because you've been involved with like some nine eleven and some counterterrorism type stuff, right. and um, exactly. and so talk about your book outside the wire. What's it all about?
2: Well, outside a wire is. Um, uh, let me back up and say when in when I retired in two thousand eight, I went to Iraq as an embedded civilian counterterrorism organized crime advisor with the U.S. Army, working uh-huh. counter IED outside the wire is inspired by my experiences in Iraq doing that assignment as a civilian suddenly thrust into the world of big army and in a hostile environment like Iraq mm-hmm. and um and it is a it, it the best way to describe this book is it, an, it it's an amalgam it, it, of a detective story a love story and a war story all mixed into one, fast moving package. And um, I wrote it uh, with a uh, with an idea in mind that I wanted to give people who have never been there um, a sense of what it was like. People Mm -hmm. who have been there will recognize immediately that I had to because I talk about things that only somebody who was there would know about. Sure. And um, I also wanted to describe how wonderful our service people are, Mm -hmm. men and women, the lead, the lead protagonist is a retired LAPD detective lieutenant who worked counterterrorism, much mm-hmm. like myself. Mm-hmm. And the other protagonist is a U.S. Army doctor, a female physician, uh, a major, who mm-hmm. um, they initially are meet when he is wounded by a piece of uh, shrapnel during a mortar attack. And from there, uh, a romance develops. Mm-hmm. And then they begin trying to investigate, or he tries to investigate based on her urging, mm-hmm. uh, a, un, a, a mysterious death that turns out to be a homicide. And that begins to unravel a much, much, much bigger plot that had, uh, that has international implications that was, that was uh, formulated uh, by a hostile power outside of Iraq. Oh, wow. So there you go. <laughs> oh,
0: that, that sounds fantastic. Okay. So where can okay, when did it come out? When where can people get it?
2: It uh it came out in uh in uh August of uh, end of August of last year. Okay. It's available online at Barnes and Noble and uh at uh or outside the wires available at Barnes and Noble and also on Amazon and uh and I also have uh an author website uh <laughs> and things like that. Uh, uh, GaryEdgingtonAuthor.com is my website, and it'll give you some background on me, some photos, uh, and uh, some other things, and a sample of the book, and where to find it, and media, uh, and things like that.
0: Excellent. uh, Yeah well that's it sounds like a fascinating read and i know some people are going to want to uh, run out and buy that book today so um and here's the thing when we have you back we're going to talk all about what went on overseas with uh, all your counterterrorism activities and um i can't wait uh, for that we'll get that on the schedule but thank you for coming on truth Truth lies and cover-ups you're awesome
2: thank you so much time has flown by my god
0: hasn't (laughs) it though okay okay Uh, Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it.
2: I'll see you next time.